Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Well, um, I'd like to pull out of my campaign with Dubai Air. Uh, What? Why? Well, it's come to my attention that Dubai Air's parent company, Ceritium Oil, is destroying Nigeria's environment and at the same time bribing government officials to look the other way. I can't be the face of one of their subsidiaries. Oh, yeah. Keely, I'm really sorry. I know how hard you worked for this. It's okay. Of course, you don't have to do it, Sam. We'll take care of it. Thank you. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. All right. So we are today, we're talking about season two, episode three, Do the Rightest Thing, which is a play on Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. This one was uh, directed by Ezra Edelman and written by Ashley Nicole Black. Do you know her? I mean, she's amazing. She was She's an actor, but she was also a writer for um, a Black Lady sketch show, which if you haven't seen, fantastic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that they brought her over to write with Ted Lasso. All right. So there's parts of this episode that are some of my favorite scenes. And then there's parts where I'm just like feeling very cringy about it. So I'm curious, <laughs> curious uh, what uh, what came up for you? Well, I mean, I'm now going back into my notes because now I'm taking notes. Hey, the start of the show starts with I'm broke, but I'm happy. Yeah. That's the song. And I'm like, oh, now I get it. Like, oh, this makes sense. Right. Because what I wasn't ready for in this show was I wasn't ready to start questioning motives. Right. Just start questioning like, okay, how do you actually show up for real especially when it comes to injustice, even if you might risk it all in order to do this, right? Like it's much easier. I've spoken to so many people or I've debated about this so much about the idea that, you know, a lot of people do charity. Anon uh, Garida Haradas did this in Winners Take All, where he's like, a lot of rich people do a lot of charity as a way to greenwash and hide, you know, the shadiness that they actually do. Right. Mm-hmm. But for you to really call out injustice, you're going to have to risk something. And a lot of people don't risk something. And Sam and apparently the whole team is willing to risk it all. It's like, whoa, this is big. Was not ready for this. You weren't like, what do you mean you weren't ready for this? Like, I'm curious what you mean. Because I, I didn't think it would get so political. I was like, uh, all right, Ted Lasso, it. we're going political. Yeah, yeah. And like, I I love it. Like, I love it. I love the, you know, I, I talk about the downfall of capitalism and, you know, yeah. and the patriarchy and all those things all the time. Heck, I many times feel play is the solution to capitalism. The play will dismantle capitalism in many ways. That's how I feel, right? And this is kind of this indicative of it right here, uh, right now. But like, yeah, to actually call it out, and then to play it out the way they could have written it in many different ways to make it seem like all happy and go lucky. And, but the, no, he was like straight going after like the Nigerian government and going after oil. I was like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. This, uh, this is such an interesting episode. And, you know, I was thinking about as I was watching yesterday that this season, it gets harder in some ways. Season one was so Ted focused. Mm-hmm. And for our viewing in terms of looking at it from that lens of leadership and positive psychology, it made it a lot easier because he is showing us what it looks like to lead 
you know, from that space that he does. Mm-hmm. This season is is interesting because what I what I loved about this episode in particular is we're now kind of two things. Number one, we're we're moving away just from Ted, right? We're getting yep. to see some of the other characters. And I love that Sam is getting a storyline, right? So we've got his storyline and then we've got the Nora and Rebecca storyline, which I loved. And both of them are about uh, courage, right? Like I felt like that was the kind of overarching theme. But I was just talking to a friend this morning and we were chatting about part of all the other characters getting more airtime is also noticing that Ted is kind of a mess, right? (laughs) So we ended season one with, um, you know, they got relegated, but everyone was in a good place for the most part. But we know that Ted is, you know, he's just gotten divorced and doesn't matter, you know, how much you want out of a relationship, like that's going to rattle you a little bit. And And especially because for him, as we know, like he felt like it was him quitting something. And so to look at kind of how that has impacted him. And then uh, in addition to the fact that they have just like a bunch of draws, right? (laughs) Like they still haven't won a game. And now you've got Dr. Sharon coming in, which I think all of it is making him feel a little bit like unsure of himself and making him question if he has the same, like, has the ability to have the same impact and if he's able to still have control over what's happening. And so I thought that was really interesting. And and this whole idea of athletes and activism, like there were so many parts of this episode that reminded me of like Colin Kaepernick and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Naomi Osaka, you know, like some of the stands that they've taken and what that means. But we can talk more about that once we kind of get to those. But yeah, so we start off. Uh, I love that Alanis Morissette song that took me right back to college and hearing that. But yeah, it's this idea, right? Like broke, but I'm happy. Like to your point, what are we willing to put on the line to feel that sense of like, I'm doing what I need to do for me in a way that feels good, right? And that's not harming other people. I think, I don't know, but there was something interesting Ted said early where he goes, he's talking to, what, what was the little girl's name? I don't know what the teenager's girl's name was. So it's Nora and she's Nora, played yeah. by Kiki May. Yeah. So he's talking to Nora. He has no idea who she is. She has no idea who he is, right? They're talking about like, you know, reincarnation. And he goes like, well, the third time around this big blue earth, I'm nothing but a, I was nothing but a horse fly. And it's fascinating just thinking of it now that you describe it of just like, maybe he feels like that now, right? Maybe he feels like he's really like that insignificant to the team right now. And maybe that's why he's, you know, going to uh, break out uh, whatever his name is, um, Ned Nasso or whatever it is. Led Led Tasso. Led Tasso. Because he's just like, I'm kind of running out of things to do, right? It, it reminds me of a parent that just like screams at their kid because they're at their wits end. And they know it's not going to work, but they're just going to do it anyway. So I'm fascinated that, that that's just, yeah, just how he starts. And then he is like talking to Sassy and he's feeling all awkward in front of Sassy. And then he's just like, hey, you know, let, let, let's do with the whatever the creator made us. Let's make the day our masterpiece. OK, like he's just trying so hard right now. He's just so not grounded. Yeah. And then Sassy says something really interesting where she's just like, oh, wow, he was, he's such a people pleaser. And I loved it. You know, like there's something fascinating about like last year or last season. This was really beneficial. And now this is almost seen as like a crutch. Like, oh, oh, like this. You can tell he it's he's struggling. There needs to be a more sophisticated way of approaching the team and approaching all of the challenges. And he really doesn't know what to do. And that's what I find really fascinating about the beginning and how it actually ends later on. Because it's like, oh, well, go ahead, Ted. Ted's picking up stuff. So, yeah. 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 And I like what you just said. So 
And obviously there's two meanings to what Sassy said, right? Like she talks about how he's so eager to please. And so, and it was all about like him being exactly how he is in terms of when they slept together. And the fun, I just thought it was so funny that Rebecca like spits out her biscuit as, as Sassy says that, which I thought was really cute. But I think you're right. I think it is like this being eager to please, like it kind of takes the wind out of like last season, every time Ted would, you know, say these platitudes and say these things to kind of lift people up, like now it's like they're falling flat, right? And so to your point, like, yeah, he's working so hard. And so let's talk about that. Like he he brings Jamie back, right? Kind of against pretty much everyone's wishes. In that opening press conference, he gets the question right away. You know, you've got this great, you've been known for creating a great environment in the locker room. And is Jamie coming back and impact that vibe? And, you know, he steps right in to say, no, no, he's on a good path. I'm just here to help. References good old Mr. Miyagi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but then they cut to the locker room and you see, you know, so you see Ted is working really hard. You see Jamie also really working hard. <laughs> to try to like get back into people's good graces. And so, you know, he's trying to, and you get that like visceral feeling that he doesn't belong, right? Like everyone's talking, they're kind of leaving him out. He's off to the side and he's trying to like, he's trying to find a way in to like be a part of the team again. And at every turn, he's just getting shot down. He's actually trying to get attuned to the team. He's trying to like, like, vibe with the team and talk about psychological safety, right? Like you can tell a team or a group of people is getting along when they're able to make fun of one another. So they're all making fun of Sam because he just got this new ad and it's kind of cool, but also now they can't like let his head get too big. So they're like mocking him and they're really good roasting jokes. And then Jamie comes in with his joke. I don't even know what it was, but it was bad, you know, and Everyone just gets silent and it's just like, oh, you don't have that. You don't have that trust with us. No, no, you're not allowed to play with us. We're all playing over here, but you're not allowed to play. And I was like, ooh, wow, ouch. That that made me giggle when I first saw that. I was like, oh, this is rough. Yeah, I mean, it does. It takes you right back to the playground, literally, like when you're a kid and like Mm -hmm. people are like, you can't play, you know? And so you you do kind of feel for him in that moment, too. But also, like, yeah, you haven't earned it yet. You know, like you can't just expect to walk in and and go right into like roasting other people as well when you haven't earned it yet. Talk about people pleasing. Right. It's just like he tries to people please him there and then he tries to people please him again by apologizing. And he really does sound like he's genuine about the being apologetic. But they are not hearing it, man. They do not want to hear it from this dude at all because of all the things that they like listed as to how he like offended them. It wasn't just once or twice, but it was he was mean to everyone to the point there was even a guy that says, I don't know you, but I don't like you like like it's that level. It's that level. You got us regulated. Do you cook the fart and put it in my face? Like it covers the gamut of things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That laundry list was pretty funny, but, but that's exactly right. Like he's done so much stuff and it reminded me of like, we talked about this last season about people who just say, sorry, right? Like they've screwed up, they've gotten caught and now they're going to say, sorry. And he did sound sincere, but like that many years of treating people badly is not going to be erased by just saying, look, I know I screwed up. I'm really sorry. Like there has to be more action behind it. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was uh, really interesting. And so what came up for me in watching that is Jamie's like Jamie's solution to all of this, which we see when he comes back to the coach's office the next day is, all right, I've tried saying, sorry, I've tried like jumping into, like you said, a tune with the team again, none of that is working. And when they go out on the pitch, Uh, Or and then he says, well, I'm going to I've decided I'm just going to buy everyone PS5s, you know, like I'll just buy their affection. (laughs) But when they're out on the pitch, like nobody wants to play with him. And then Sam actually like really tackles him pretty hard. Yeah. And then lets him know that things are different now. Like you can't just come in here and 
and be like this anymore, right? And so Jamie kind of goes back to what feels comfortable, which is like going to Keely, right? Like I need to talk. And what I love about this is that Keely is now setting her own boundaries around this. Yep. And she's like, uh, no. And she walks him right up to Dr. Sharon. And so what was interesting in that conversation, though, is he's still like in that he still hasn't completely shifted, right? He's still kind of self-centered. Like as he's walking through the hall with Keely, he's just like, well, they're just holding on to a grudge. And, you know, it's not my fault. I'm special. Yep. And so you're, you're kind of like, all right, like you see him struggling, you see him wanting to like genuinely fit in here, but he still hasn't quite figured out that he still has kind of a big head about himself, you know, yeah. still not part of the team. He's still very much about me. Right. And also he's not as good as he thought he was because that was a clean tackle by Sam. Like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's tougher now. Like the team has gotten better since he used to like bully them back in the day and he was much better. You know, you got to also remember he hasn't played in a while. He was on that Love Island show, which I watched this weekend and was horrible, but I watched it anyway. But yeah, it was just the idea of like, oh, none of these guys I can push around anymore. Yeah. I'm not even the captain of the team. And what was he ever the captain of the team? But yeah, I'm not even like the leader of the team anymore. I'm just kind of this guy. And he ebbs and flows between like being humbled and then other times where he's just like, I think I figured it out. I just need to do this one thing and then I'll get that, you know, and it just, yeah, he's just struggling. So it's funny that there's like this theme of like who's setting boundaries and who's choosing to people, please. That's what I keep seeing. Okay. So you've got, and what's important here is also the connection between Jamie and Sam. Because Sam now is, mm-hmm. Sam, Sam has stepped into that role as leader on the team, right? Like he, uh, we saw last week, like he feels comfortable telling Ted when he doesn't agree or he's upset about something. We see him kind of uh, in the middle of everything in the locker room. We see him now getting these like, I mean, D- Dubai Air is a pretty big contract right like it's a pretty big it's the main thing paying right now because they are not making enough money to pay their players right exactly so so we see him really stepping into that leadership and with him not being on board with jamie coming back the rest of the team is also not going to be on board right And so part of this is looking at their relationship. And so Sam's gotten this amazing Dubai air gig and that scene where he's on the bike Mm -hmm. on his own and he's so excited about this and like sending the, the text to his dad to be like, look, you know, I got this thing. And then just to see like how devastated he is once his dad writes back to him. Right. And so it's just, it really broke my heart to see like, but he has like this realization and coming back to like this idea of courage again, you know, having the courage to go and say to Rebecca and Keely, like, I can't, I just found out about this and I can't be the face of this company. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Right. When he's riding the bike, I'm like worried for some reason. I don't know why I was even worried, but I was just like, oh, such a heartfelt moment with Sam is Sam is finally things are going well. And I thought of like the other shoes about to drop and I was like, something bad's going to happen. Is he going to get injured? Like I was just worried the whole time, but I did not know it was going to come from that. I was like, Oh, he's going to get to share this with his dad. His dad's going to be so happy. So when I read like, now you're just a shill of a corporation and it breaks my heart. I was like, I was like, I was expecting an injury, but not that injury. I was like, yikes. So, yeah, when he does walk in and he does it in such a respectful way yeah. that, you know, when he says no to them and they're like, yeah, we'll take care of it. You know, and I'm thinking the whole time, like, yeah, just slot, just slot Jamie in like no big deal. Right. Like they don't really care. They just want someone to sponsor the the team. That's why when like Sam again later on is like looking in the mirror before he's about to go out on the pitch. I'm like, oh, is he going to get injured now? <laughs> like there were so many times <laughs> that I was just like, oh, gosh. Oh, no. What's Sam going to do? Yeah. He's going to get hurt somehow. And then. Yeah. So I was not again, not ready. I was not ready for it to turn on political. Yeah. And social justice on me. And I'm like, I am here for it, but I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny. One of the criticisms of this episode that I read about was just that in real life, if the sponsor of your team, like if you protested this way, there would be much bigger financial consequences and that the show doesn't really address that at all. And to your point about just slotting Jamie in, what I love is that that's not even an option. Like exactly when they hear about why he's doing what he is, like they both are like, it's fine. You don't have to do it. And they don't try to slot anyone else in. They just leave it. The only person who really reacts is Higgins. Because he has that, like, you know how he has that thing in his throat every time something bad is happening? Yeah. And he has that reaction because he knows. Like, so I think that that's their way of touching on it. Like, he knows that there are going to be some some serious repercussions. Yeah. Like, in the long run, I'm assuming there's going to be because it's like, now you lost basically your main ad sponsor that pays for all of their salaries. Yeah. So then where does the money come from? And then once you lose the money, then your team gets even pushed down even further down to another league. So it's just like, this is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. So that scene where Sam puts the tape across his chest, like I usually from that point on, like I'm crying in that episode (laughs) because it's just like, it's so moving. And I think what really gets me though is he explains to the team like why he's putting the tape on and that he could no longer wear their name on his chest. And then the other Nigerian players start taping up their chest. And he says to the, to the rest of the team, like, look, I don't expect any of you to do this. Uh, but hopefully you can understand why we as Nigerians have to. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, by this point, Jamie has already talked to Dr. Sharon. So we don't know what she has said to him. Yep. But something has shifted so that for the first time, it feels like Jamie actually understands that this isn't about him. It's about being with his team. Yep. And this is one place where he could easily have just kept his mouth shut and said nothing and just been silent, right? But he seems to be realizing that he has to actually be worthy of of the trust of the team and be willing to take risks when they need a support. And what's really interesting is that he's the first white player yep. who supports the protest, yep. um, who isn't Nigerian. And so he doesn't have the same stakes as Sam does, right? So if Sam did this protest on his own, he'd probably get fired. We already know that the guy, the Serithium oil guy wants him out anyway. Exactly. If Sam and then the other two, um, Isaac, and I can't remember what the other guy's name was, but if the three of them did this, they could still potentially, the three of them could get fired. Yeah. But by Jamie standing up, the rest of the team starts to follow suit because Jamie says, well, we're a team, so we have to wear the same kit. And so now if you've got the whole team protesting, they're not going to fire the whole team, right? So he's already helped to lower the risk uh, for the rest of the team and create that bond, like create the bridge that needs to have happened for them to like rebuild that trust. And I just thought that that was just so beautifully done. Like it was so moving. Yeah. And powerful. It actually reminds me, I don't look this up, but it reminds me of the 1968 Olympic Black Power salute. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where gold medalist Tommy Smith and bronze medalist John Carlos lifted the Black Power sign with their gloves on, you know, mm-hmm. um, at, you know, the Olympics to really bring attention to what was happening to black people in the U.S. Both lost their medals, stripped of their medals, stripped of being part of the Olympic team, never to run again. Like that's the mm-hmm. risk. Like that and then talk about like how that's relevant today. To that that's Colin Kaepernick, right? 100%. Yeah. Never going to get another chance. But because he did what he did, then you can have someone like a Naomi Osaka or someone else push and they're like, "Well, we can't risk losing this person." So, yes, I I think it was huge on Jamie's part and also, I mean, a part of me doesn't want to give him too much credit. I mean, let's just talk about it. But yeah, you know. no, for sure. Like this is this is Sam's moment, and I'm not trying to minimize that by at all. Yeah, yeah. but he finally gets it for a, a little bit, where he's just like, "Oh, this is the moment," because I'm sure Dr. Sharon said something like, "There will be a moment 
when you can communicate whether you want to be teammates with them. Mm. What are you going to do in that moment? And he was, and I think he finally realized it in that moment. Like, well, it just makes sense. We're all going to have to wear the same kit. Like, it doesn't. Why would only some people do it? What I also loved about it was it wasn't even they were just commenting on like, oh, this is just for Nigerians. But this is like a thing that it happens a ton with black and brown people, mm-hmm. especially in places at work, right? Where they want to speak up, but they don't feel like they can and they'll risk, they don't want to risk it because if they risk, they might lose their job. But when you have other people speak up, especially that have more privilege mm-hmm. and you do it as a group, that's when all of a sudden, you know, yeah. people start to get like headway, right? Like I believe the Starbucks union leader was a black dude who got fired and then he unionized people and then other people started stepping up and now i think they have like a hundred or more uh groups of starbucks employees talking to different types of unions started with someone putting themselves out there so i'm like let's go sam like ooh. I'm both like, we need that Dubai air money. And also like, maybe we don't, maybe we can figure this out. Yeah. It was funny. um, As I was watching, I was like, cause you know, I used to fly around the middle East a lot for work. And I was like, is Dubai air a real airline? Cause it took me a minute and I looked it up and obviously it is not a real airline, but they use the same font Uh cause there is a fly Dubai campaign. Yeah. And so they use the same font, which is probably what made me feel like I needed to question whether it was a real airline. Wait, the same font as who? As, as Qatar? As, Qatar? No, Air? as the as the Fly Dubai campaign. Ah, as the Fly Dubai campaign run by who? Uh, I don't remember if that's from like the the country uh, oh, or the, okay. like the uh, the Emirate of Dubai. Fly Dubai is an airline. Okay. Oh, it is an airline? Yeah, Fly Dubai oh, okay. is an airline, not Dubai okay. Jet or whatever they call it. Okay, Dubai Air is what they call it on here. So Fly Dubai is an actual airline. And then and then you've got airlines like Emirates and Etihad, which actually do sponsor teams in real life, like in the real Premier A ton of teams. All these uh, teams out of Qatar and Dubai and the Emirates sponsor, I mean, we're talking like 20, 25 teams. You know, it's a lot around all of Europe, you know, it's crazy how much money they have. Oh, yeah, they have a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of money. Um, yeah, so I thought I thought that was actually really interesting. I was just curious and I kind of went down a rabbit hole <laughs> last night as I was looking. I was like, this is really interesting. So I want to talk about Led Tasso for a second. I got to be honest, like this whole part of the story was so like cringy for me. Oh, I, f- I felt like I had to turn it off. Like I was like, can we just skip this part? I was like, he's so bad. It's so painful. So painful. And the thing is that we know now is that there's nothing that this show does that isn't intentional. Like everything in this show has intention behind it. And so I was really kind of like sitting with it and thinking about it. And I was like, why, like, why are they doing this? You know? And there was a couple of things that, that came up for me. Like, I think part of this is to just demonstrate that he is not himself right now. Like he is a mess. And so you've got Dr. Sharon sitting there in the stands watching everything. She sees right through what they're doing, right? Like when they go to explain it, she's like, oh, you're doing this, blah, 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 blah. And has it ever worked, <laughs> you know? So, and this was like, for me, like where some of the leadership stuff started coming back in again is I think sometimes as leaders, we forget that we have provided our people with good training and good information. And, and at some point we have to step back and trust that they're going to lean into that and do the right thing in that moment, right? But we don't, we lose sight of that. And so in this case, like, you know, Dr. Sharon coming in has already rattled Ted from episode one. Like he's really questioning whether, you know, like why his method of things isn't working. He's questioning if he um, is still as effective as a coach. And so when he sees that Jamie (laughs) is going the route of purchasing PS5s, he feels like he needs to step in to fix this. But I think that had he just trusted that Sam is a leader now, he's going to do the right thing, and that the rest of the team 
Like the, the locker room is happy. They would figure it out together. Like they would get there and that Jamie would get there. Like he, yeah. he is changing. He's not there yet, but he's changing. And so like he didn't need to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it was, you know, whatever Jamie did learn from Dr. Sharon, but also, and you know, which is also a good reminder. Like sometimes we need other perspectives and other ways of doing things. And that's why like Dr. Sharon is a good partner for Ted because she's got some skills and skill sets and tools and and things like that. Well, I just heard this the other day about using the word tools that we shouldn't be using the word tools because it's implying that there's things that need to be fixed. But like, yep. but she's got resources and stuff that maybe Ted doesn't. And so she's just enhancing, you know, the like, or building on the foundation that he's already created. Yeah. You know? And so I think sometimes like that ability as a leader to be able to recognize like, okay, I don't have this particular gift. Somebody else does. It doesn't mean I'm any less of a leader in this mm-hmm. place. It just means that I do things one way and this person can help make this even stronger. And so I don't know anyway. So that that's what was coming up for me. It was just that he just was really like in this place of insecurity and operating from that space rather than trusting and being curious and, you know, kind of letting go of some of his own teachings. Yep. You know, and again, just showing the humanity of of being a leader in that way. I find this a lot, a lot especially I find this with a lot of dudes, a lot of dude leaders is you want to you want to fix you're constantly wanting to fix like that is your your thing and heck maybe it's not just men but you know because i i sometimes see this with uh my family just people that feel like if i'm not fixing something if i'm not solving something i'm not relevant right mm-hmm. i'm a horsefly basically i'm just not there and i think he's like now at his wit's end of like, okay, I need to fix this Jamie thing. I was the one that brought him in. I'm feeling a certain level of responsibility now. I've I potentially am ruining the not locker room. We still haven't won. All these things. So, you know, it makes sense for me to bring out Med Masso or whatever. It's. Led Tasso. Led Tasso. I like call it a Med Masso. Like it does like just this character, right? Yeah. And he even slicks back his hair like Pat Riley style, right? And just like, I'm going to do that 90s toxic masculine screaming. And not only is it just cringy because like, you're like, oh, like that's not you. But I think it's also cringy because everyone's just like, okay, he's just having a, a meltdown day, right? You know? Yeah. And then even when Jamie like then defends everybody and they're like, thanks, Jamie. I mean, it, it helps a little bit. But it's still, again, like a parlor trick. Yeah. And that's where it's kind of funny when when Dr. Sharon's just like, well, has this worked before? And they're like, well, it's worked at a Chuck E. Cheese, you know, like or whatever you guys call it here, like a cheddar, you know, Charles, Charles, Charles Cheddar the third, like whatever they get to that part where they're like justifying it almost looks like two kids that are going up to the teacher and being like, well, no, it's worked in the past. And she's like, uh-huh. Is it, has it worked in the past? They're like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Tell me what, did why work this one time, you know, at band camp. So yeah, it just shows that a lot of his strategies are not only folksy, but kind of not sophisticated, not layered, not understanding. Yeah. So you're right. Like, you know, would he have known if they would have fixed it by themselves? Well, in the end, they ended up fixing it by themselves without his knowledge at all, right? Yeah. And he really, in in many ways, and maybe some leaders have to learn this. In many ways, he simply needed to just get out of the get out of the way, right, and just let it evolve. Yep. Having said that, a challenge that he has, which is a real challenge, this is a challenge that a lot of leaders deal with, is like you also have results you're expected to produce yep so you know as a leader how do you go about balancing that between just like oh you know i'm gonna let this solve itself i've done how how do you know as a leader if you've done enough to begin with to build the foundation so that they can solve it themselves right because i think a lot of leaders don't realize that and then second how do you do it in such a way where knowing that they're going to come to their own conclusions on their own time but you need you have capitalistic results that you need to deliver immediately. Mm-hmm. 
that is a hard thing to navigate. Yeah. And I think we kind of touched on that last week too, right? Around like along with that, like the psychological safety piece, like, you know, to what extent do we create this atmosphere where everyone is super relaxed and, you know, connected to each other, but also still able to deliver the results you're supposed to deliver Yeah, and not be like, well, you know, I didn't feel like doing it today, but that's okay. Like, no, like you still have outcomes that have to happen. So yeah, I think it's interesting. It is very layered in that way. But talking about the theme of like, actually letting go, not only letting go of the results, because that's always a theme that I notice a lot, especially with curiosity, Mm -hmm. but also the theme of getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. You see that with Rebecca learning from Roy, right? When he's hanging out with Nora and he's like, yes, you know, she's like, oh, she loves you so much. And he's like, yeah, it's so annoying. You know, like he's like pissed off about it. And he's like, you'd be amazed how much they just want to hang out with you. Like they just want to be in your world. And when she invites Nora to her world, to her work, like that's finally when they actually start to connect. And that's when she mentions how she got suspended for smoking and all this other stuff. But I find that really interesting that Rebecca's like, oh my gosh, it's not that hard. Like I don't have to create all these things and entertain these kids, which I loved, by the way, because, you know, I talk about that all the time, like, allow your kids to be bored, they need to be bored more, they don't know how to be bored. And I think a lot of times we feel this need to constantly entertain them, you know, in order for them to love and appreciate us. And they, a lot of times they really don't care about those like bells and whistles, they'll, they'll go to your podiatry appointment simply because they just want to hang out. They just want to be in your world. Yeah. What I loved about that was that neither of them actually have kids and yet they love the kids that are in their lives and and then hate the like overall thing about kids. Like it was the the way that they were bonding was just really funny. Yeah, I love that he his advice like between her dating and then now the kids like he's just like so on it every time um, I read this article and they said that he is becoming the show's angry Yoda. Yeah. And I thought that was like such a perfect description. I was going to say, even like that part where he goes, Oh, did you break up with that like twat or whatever he called him, you know? And she goes, yeah. And he's like, did you break up because of me? And she's like, no, I broke up because it was the right thing to do. And it's like, Oh, Yeah. 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 Bringing it right back to the rightest thing to do. What I loved about her asking Nora about, like, you see Rebecca's kind of nervous, like when she goes in to ask her if she wants to come to work with her. And she's like, you know, probably be really, she's like minimizing, right? Probably be really boring and this and that. And you see Nora's just like, that sounds amazing, right? Yeah. And she says, I've always wanted to see what it was like to run a football club. And then Rebecca's like, well, since when? And she says, well, ever since you started doing it. Exactly. And it reminded me back, I don't remember which episode it was, but Rebecca is doing that shoot for Footballer Quarterly or Footballer Digest or something. Mm -hmm. And Ted says to Rebecca at the time, somewhere out there is a little girl in an eggplant colored suit looking up to you or something like that, Mm. you know? And it just, for me, like brought that full circle where Mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, this little girl who's been in your life is the one who's looking up to you and wants to, to do what you are doing, you know, but she like that character of Nora is just so wise. Like, right. I mean, first of all, the fact that she understands all the financial stuff better than Ted does. But I find this a lot with like the, like the younger generations coming up, like this desire to, to do exactly this, to do the right thing. Right. Yep. And not, you know, to move away from like the superficial. So like when she asks Keely, like what's the hook for banter and Keely says, you know, there's no photos. It's all about communicating, um, using your words and personalities. (laughs) And Rebecca's initial response is like, isn't that horrifying or something like that? Yeah. And Nora's like, well, I think that's really cool. And Rebecca's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. So do I, you know? Yeah. It's funny to see Rebecca who is like this big, bad, you know, boss ass bitch as they call it yep. just being so nervous around this little girl you know and just wanting to like connect and like be in that space with her and open to learning from her which i think is is great yeah you almost see as if and i've been seeing this a lot more and more on tiktok 
you know, there have been companies that I've been talking to and they, and they're like, yeah, we, you know, we need to figure out how to, you know, talk to the Gen Z generation. You know, we need to figure out what they want and how, well, you know, what is, what are their needs? And I just saw, I literally just saw this TikTok right before we hopped on where this Gen Zer was being like, you know what we want? We just want you to stop lying to us <laughs> like we just want you to be actually real like real and authentic and and clear i hate using the word now authentic but you know like real with us because we know that there's so much like hypocrisy out there and there's so much contradictions and you almost see different generations trying to tackle issues in different ways where like you got gen xers and millennials and heck maybe even some of maybe baby boomers but at least gen x and millennials from the people-pleasing standpoint, because that's how they were raised, trying to mm -hmm. people-please to solve problems. And then a lot of Gen Zers that are like, I just want you to cut through all that crap and just tell me how it is, you know? And yeah. if you're not willing to, I'm going to call you out on it. Like, I just don't care. Like, I don't care. I don't care about staying at a job for that long. I don't care about what you think of me as much. I just want to do what I want to do because it brings me happiness, you know, and that's fascinating seeing those generations trying to like interact with each other mm -hmm. um, and try to get on the same page because then finally when Rebecca stops trying, yeah, like all of a sudden Nora is helping her write letters, which I oh. thought was freaking amazing because that, that was like the best scene. That's such great writing where she's like saying, you know, you have a small, tiny, whatever right Shriveled and then she's penis, yeah and then she's and then she writes you know something all cordial and calm and like that is that's how you can see the different generations right yeah and how they're communicating now and i was like oh that was such a good scene yeah well and it's funny uh you know his name the guy's name is richard cole and uh nora starts off the letter hey dick hole yeah which I thought was really funny. Uh, yeah, that whole scene was awesome. And I love that Rebecca actually signed it boss ass bitch, though, which I thought was really cool and is a big thing on a lot of Ted Lasso swag out there. <laughs> yeah, I just I really loved their um, kind of chemistry together. And Kiki May, like that actress is phenomenal. The way that she shows up and like presents herself in that role, like I just thought she was she was very good. Very, very yeah. good. Yeah. And I, I think the other part that I found, like, I don't know, it was just, how did I, I found it really just fascinating and, and weird was how all of a sudden, like, she's the one that was sitting in Rebecca's seat. You know, she's sitting in Rebecca's seat and she's actually as if she's like in charge. Right. Mm -hmm. She's been there less than a day. And why is everyone coming up to her and getting like their opinion? Because she doesn't she cuts through all the B.S., which again is fascinating because like you compare that to Ted, which I love Ted. I loved the first season, but he doesn't do that. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's refreshing, you know, that Nora has some of the same vibes that Dr. Sharon has as well of like, I'm just going to cut through all the stuff and get through it. And at the same time, also you do remember that Nora's a kid because she gets all, queasy and like nervous when she's around Sam and the team, right? She, just, she still gets starstruck and you like forget like, oh yeah, she's also still a kid, right? So I just, lo I loved that dynamic. Yeah, that was really sweet. And just going back to the leadership piece again, you know, this is one thing when, before I left my last organization was talking to leaders about having to shift how they approach things because of the new generations that are coming up, mm -hmm. that the old way of doing things just isn't going to cut it anymore. And mm -hmm. the expectations that this new generation has and the way, like the things that are important to them are very different, I think, from the like baby boomers and even Gen X. And so, yeah, I thought, I, to your point, I thought this was a really great demonstration of kind of having like these two very different generations looking at the same thing and how they can arrive at the same place, even from two very different ways of doing it, you know? And so. Yeah. And then talk about at the end. So Ted finally gets it right. Like we don't like, I, we didn't at first even know whether they won the game or lost the game, but they were so happy after the game, which was really fascinating. Right. Because they celebrated the fact that they broke, broke their tie streak 
that's just interesting because talk about a reframe and being like, hey, let's celebrate anyway. There's no more of a lasso way to look at that situation. Yes. Right. 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 But I think the other part that I found really great was Ted finally just got out of the way. Right. Like he goes into the press conference. They all want him to answer all the questions. And he's just like, no, I'm not here to answer these questions. Sam is here to answer these questions. But he frames it in a way beforehand, you know, to like, yes, give a lot of credit to Sam and be like, that's extremely brave what he had to do out there. And not to mention you, if if the person looked like me, like basically calling out race, which is great, right? I thought it was great. Like you would have you would have it would have been a big issue. But with Sam, he almost has to do these things. And, you know, and really like giving a shout out to Black Lives Matters, giving a shout out to like the Me Too movement, just giving a shout out to like a lot of social injustice mm-hmm. campaigns that are being ignored because they're not being represented by star power. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's to the point that you even have to to get something passed. You have to get like Jon Stewart to back you in order to pass certain like legislation. Like that's the crazy part about it. So he leverages his power and then sets it up for Sam. And then I love what Sam said because Sam's like, I'm not here to talk about the game. Yes. And you've and you're seeing more and more athletes doing this mm-hmm. with their platform. I mean, especially with like the Britney Griner thing that's happening right now. You yep. know, the, her teammates being like, We're not here to talk about the game. Like, yeah. my friend, I don't even want to play basketball today. I remember one of her teammates was saying, like, you want me to go play basketball? And I just found out she's going to be in jail for nine years, potentially, right? Like, yeah. I love that a lot of uh, athletes are now speaking up about re- a lot of really important issues, including, like, Naomi Osaka and uh, who was the gymnast? Simone Biles. Simone Biles. Losing a platform to watch out for other people. So... I thought that was really like powerful. And then he calls out the Nigerian government is like, oh, my goodness. Now, would I see that in real life? I don't know. Like, that's getting into some stuff. But the fact that that was even again, I I referenced Ted Lasso so much of like, I've rarely seen a show that talks about healthy masculinity. Now I'm seeing a show, a comedy show. I've rarely seen a comedy show talk about social injustice since like maybe I know rock back in like 1990s. And there were a few other shows like that that would like really directly address it. Right. It was refreshing and also like, dang. Yeah. I had that same kind of thinking around Naomi Osaka. And actually I did think about Simone Biles at that time too, um, which is funny that I just had a, like a moment of not remembering, but yeah, like no, Naomi Osaka, when she pulled out, I think it was the French Open, right? Mm-hmm. And she talked about how the press often will come in and they'll try to get in the head of the athletes about yep. the loss, right? Like they'll try to frame it on them. And she says, you know, we know that we lost. We know we didn't play well. <laughs> like asking us about it and, you know, trying to frame it in a way that, you know, it just creates more trauma. And so I really, yeah, I really appreciated that Sam just held his boundaries. He didn't let them blame the lot. Like he didn't let Trent blame the loss on him or get in his head about it, but he knew that he had this platform and he needed to take a stand. And, you know, back in season one, when Keely was asking the guys, like what brands they'd want to represent and things like that, like he at the time had said environment was really important to him. Right. And so now he gets to actually put that into action and try to get accountability using his platform. And that's huge. And to your question, and I think what what you're saying in terms of would this really happen in real life with your, and I think you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're referencing like, would it get this political at a press conference for like a sports team? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't, and I don't know the answer to that, but like the, the issue of, like oil issues in Nigeria obviously is something that's happened for a long time. And Shell was like the main company Mm -hmm. that had done all the oil spills. And so, you know, it's interesting how they're pulling. And then the fact that you've got like an airline that sponsors the team, which is very similar to what happens in real life. Um, And so it is curious, like it's curious how they're kind of bringing all those pieces together. And I will be, you know, like, to see in the future if we see something like this happen in real life, because I don't know if any of the airlines that do sponsor or any of the sponsors in general are tied to companies like this, which they very well. Oh, could be. they and all so, are. They yeah. 
all are. Like, this is why it's like, oh, you're trying to put bring this in? Like, because I because I remember we it was either you or I or one of us was just like, oh, you know, Ted Lasso should be like a sponsor of the World Cup or something like that, or they should be featured in the world. I don't think I don't think FIFA wants to touch them because like especially if they're gonna do that. Like, you know, all those, every single company that you see on a jersey, whether it's the English Premier League or the Spanish League or the German League or heck, even the US, all have done shady stuff. So it's just like, wow, any soccer player watching this, and there's going to be a lot of soccer players watching it being like, hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) could we do that? Would I do that? Like, oh, man, man. Because I have definitely seen athletes protest, you know, when they're being represented in a certain way. But then also then they get their lives threatened. Like, I think that one of the Turkish basketball players, he can't go back to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's that level. So, like, I'm fascinated as to how the writing is going to play out later on. Is there going to be backlash towards Sam's family because they live in Nigeria? You know, how are they going to act? Are they going to find another sponsor? Would another sponsor even realistically, you know, sponsor them? Yeah. How do they write in a way where it's still realistic, yet there's still some sort of like closure to it? That's tough for a writer. Like if I was a writer right now, I'd be like, how are we going to figure this out? Like we just yeah, put ourselves yeah. in a corner. So, yeah. The piece about his family still living in Nigeria, like that came up for me too, because, um, you know, like my background was interviewing asylum seekers and refugees for a long time. And exactly that, that the fact that he calls out the government by name, he's already like a well-known entity in the world, right? Like he's a, a famous person. And so, yeah, I had that um, thought for a minute too about his family because, you know, the Nigerian government isn't going to mess around. Right, so. right. So. And also you are calling out actually the Nigerian government with yeah. the this thing, which is kind of crazy and a little hypo- hypocritical because I mean... All these other countries are just as bad, if not worse. So it's like, yeah. So, yeah. But I will say, as we wrap up, the thing that I did love at the end was, you know, when they did take the picture and then I looked at all the other pictures and they're all like celebrating and, you know, Nora's there and and she's just loving it and they're doing all these different poses and things like that. I, I wrote, I was like, oh, wow, the team is back. Like, like Jamie comes out with the toast, the Sam, and he's just like, you know, you stole my thunder and I'm okay with it. And it's like, oh, I never saw that happening. I did not think that Sam and Jamie and the team would have figured it out and figured it out so quickly. And they figured it out so quickly by simply agreeing to do the same experience. And I really feel a lot of times like people, you know, people bond, especially on experiences and being out there together in unison on something that might directly affect their salary and whether or not they're going to be bet a team again was obviously pretty powerful. Yeah. And especially in light of the fact that Ted is kind of in a shaky place right now, the team is a stronger unit than ever. Yeah. And the other part that was interesting was that this could have gone very differently in that like when you see them at the match, the commentators, they're all talking about Jamie's comeback, right? And, and you see everyone in the pub and stuff like that. And Jamie, by like becoming one of, with the team and like, you know, getting in line with like to protest, he helps to shift the story and put the focus where it needs to be. So it's not about him. It's not about him coming back being me, me, me again, like he did. But, but rather like the story is now where it needs to be, which is on this terrible injustice and Sam actually getting to be in the spotlight, to shine because he's actually trying to make a point about something really important. And yeah, that that closeout was really interesting with the montage of photos because um, the song that we have closing it out, it's called Kala My Friend by the band um, Amanas. And it's from, <laughs> the name of their album is actually Africa. And so again, it's really one of those little details yet again that has not escaped the Ted Lasso folks. And so 
but yeah, so listening to the song and then just watching all the photos, like, yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. Like, cause normally they just fade to black or whatever, right. With the credits. I mean, my biggest takeaway, and it's the one I've struggled with, you know, for quite some time still figuring it out is what does it actually mean to do the, the rightest thing? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, much of my work is about calling out the patriarchy, you know, and calling out systems of like impression or systems of discrimination that just don't serve us anymore, especially in like the workplace. But then also that same patriarchal system is what pays me. Right. So there's like an irony to that of being like, okay, well, do I want Dubai? air money or do i not want dubai air money and if i don't get dubai air money where is the money going to come from and i think that is a question that a lot of us have all the time i i've been recently having a lot of conversations with people that talk about having golden handcuffs where they're at a really nice job it's super comfortable but they hate it right and they're just like you know but it's also they've bought so many things that they don't know how to get out of it because the golden handcuffs pay for all these things. And it's a really big challenge when you have to figure out like, yeah, what do I actually really want? And what am I going to have to give up in order to get there? And that's tough for everyone to make that decision. Yeah. Did you see the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, many times. What do you feel like was the connection? I'm just curious. So there's a lot that goes on in in the movie, but you know, for people that have seen the movie, and and I'm just gonna, you know, the the whole like spoiler alert, the spoilers, yeah, it's just spoilers. It's from the '80s. It's it's a phenomenal and tough movie to watch at the same time, right? Yeah. But it really it just comes down to like this black dude, Spike Lee, works at this Italian restaurant that's super racist to everybody. Yeah. And but he tolerates being there and it just talks about his whole life being, I think, living in Brooklyn, either Brooklyn. Yeah, it's Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, at some point, uh, one of his friends, Radio Rahib, Radio Rahib, um, who always has this boombox radio and is constantly walking around with his boombox radio one day walks into that italian restaurant and he's and like you know the italian guy who hates black people but they pay for him to be there and he's been there for like 20 years he's like turn off that radio and they just start going back off back and forth and then he's just like no and then eventually somehow the cops get called and radio rahim gets not only arrested and pinned to the ground but then he suffocates and dies like literally mm. George Floyd 20 years before him, right? And not just George Floyd, but so many other people. So right? many. So yeah. many other people, yeah. right? We could just go down the line. And then talk about do the right thing. So at that moment, Spike Lee's character, everyone's like pissed off. You know, they, they cart off Radio Rahim. People don't know if he's dead or not, but um, for the most part, people probably know. The cops are like, you know, trying to like, you know, block from getting attacked. And then Spike Lee takes a huge garbage can and he knows what he's going to do may be the right thing or may not be the right thing, depending on who, who, how it looks, but he takes it and he throws the garbage can through the window of the Italian restaurant that he's been working at for the last like few years. And that just causes a whole riot into the entire neighborhood. Right. And the whole Italian restaurant gets burned down and all this stuff happens. And but talk about like a question of doing the right thing or not like that really. I think I think that's kind of why I feel it's tied is like with this decision, right? You don't know if it's the right thing. You think it's the right thing right exactly. now. Yeah. But you just don't know. You don't know the repercussions of that right thing. And all of the things that led up to that, every single person probably in that movie do the right thing and even in this show right now thinks they're doing the right thing right mm -hmm. and yep. who knows yep. who knows how how that actually plays out but that is that is the question so that is the question for us listeners what is the thing that you're struggling on where you feel like i need to do the right thing and what is what is being communicated to you yeah from your intuition. Yeah. And they just, you know, they did a 30, 30 year anniversary thing around do the right thing. And one of the things they were talking about is how like the movie didn't answer the problems that it exposes, right? It's really like reflecting back to us as the audience 
to consider our own perspectives on things like prejudice and in compliance and stuff like that. And so I think that the show is referencing that in some ways because, you know, to your point, like we don't know. And also we don't know what we would do if we were in Sam's position. But the point being that like Ted recognizes that there is a major injustice happening and that normally Sam wouldn't get the airtime to talk about it, you know? And so there was Ted doing the right thing by giving him that space, Sam doing the right thing by actually standing up and taking a stand, Jamie doing the right thing by supporting the team, Rebecca doing the right thing by, you know, not firing Sam. Like there's, there were so many different layers to this, but yeah, just another really brilliant, very brilliantly written episode. So, all right. So, um, what are you taking into? Are you taking this into next week? Then I'm what, taking in the, the question right of what it means to do the right thing, right? Yeah. And this idea also of what would Ted Lasso do? Sometimes the Ted Lasso thing is for a Ted Lasso to just get out of his own way, right? Sometimes it's not to do the Ted Lasso thing, which is yeah, ironic. I love right? that. Yep. Yeah. No, I really like that. I'm gonna kind of uh, explore the same question as well in the coming week. And, uh, yeah. So thank you so much for yet another great discussion. I really appreciate you. And, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Absolutely. This has been fun as always. And we'll talk to you next time. See you everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of what would Ted Lasso do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, Try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.